When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, good afternoon everybody. I'm Clive Yorton. Welcome to Croydon Advertiser's first Crystal Palace podcast called Eagle-Eyed View. Um, you may be forgiven for thinking we're launching it uh, to coincide with Palace's first win at the weekend, but that's purely coincidence. Uh, I'm joined by digital club writer for Crystal Palace, Rob Warlow. Hi, Rob. Hi. And uh, Lee Wilmot, Head of Sport. Hi, Clive. And Ryan O'Donovan, who covers Fulham uh, for Trinity Mirror, uh, but he's here to... Uh, joining the discussions with Roy Hodgson in mind as well. Love a bit of Roy. So first of all, I'll go over to Rob and uh, say from, a, from an outsider's point of view, Rob, Crystal Palace hadn't scored a goal for seven games. Suddenly they beat Chelsea, who were well-organised and uh, difficult to beat. So how did that happen? Yeah, it wasn't exactly expected, was it, going into the weekend? Uh, to be fair to Crystal Palace, they played well. Roy Hodgson got his tactics spot on for the weekend. It was probably a good time to play Chelsea, given that they were without N'Golo Kante and Alvaro Morata. I think it was uh, quite obvious how big a miss those two players are were on Saturday for them. I mean, Kante, we know from his time at Leicester and obviously last season at Chelsea, how sort of a vital a cog he is in that midfield. And they did just seem to lack a little bit of something. And up front, Michi Batshuayi played up front for, for Chelsea on uh, the weekend and. He was taken off after an hour, he was very ineffective and part of that I think you, could, you can attribute to Palace and how they nullified the threats but I think Chelsea had an off day, it's you know, fair to say that and for, for Palace it obviously you know, came at the right time, I think actually the, the international break came at a good time mm. for them, it allowed them to sort of regroup and yeah, obviously it had been a difficult start, there's no hiding from that, seven defeats in a, in a row at the start of the season, it wasn't looking good. But I think Do you think psychologically that plays on a footballer's mind? Chelsea go into that game thinking, haven't scored a goal in seven games, we're going to win this fairly easily and maybe take Palace a bit too lightly, which you can't do in any Premier League game. Possibly, I think that the pressure actually has been on for the last couple of weeks, alright, Manchester City and Man United weren't expected to go there and get anything and they obviously didn't mm. but I think the longer it goes on uh, had gone on this run of you know Palace not scoring not winning a game I actually think the pressure came on turned around on the other teams mm. because they didn't want to be that first team that you know conceded against Palace or the mm. first team to lose to Palace nothing to lose in a way and yeah I think actually for, for Palace it was the perfect game because it was a free hit almost on Saturday they had nothing to lose going into it no one expected anything to get anything from it and actually, you know, the return of Wilfred Zaha, I think the return of Julian Sproni in goal, it, it created a feel-good factor around Zaha's part. I mean, you know, I've been there for many a game now, and it was rocking on Saturday. I mean, I, 
I think anyone connected with Palace will know that when things are going well, that stadium can rock. You know, <clears> the fans are great, get behind them. But on Saturday, particularly, I mean, I sensed it before the kickoff, even that the fans were right behind them. You know, it was almost a sense of right, well, it can't get any worse. Let's get behind the team. Let's see what we can do. And it was against Chelsea. It's a London derby, and the fans will be up for that naturally, anyway. Exactly, and I think you know that the champions come to town. As I said, it was almost a bit of a free hit, and I think the Palace fans probably took that on board and, and you know sort of thought let's let's create an intimidating atmosphere for, for Chelsea. Yeah. You know, see how they respond to it, and in fairness to, to the Pal- you know, for the Palace players, they responded well. You know, they they matched that energy and drive and passion that was coming from the stands with their performance on the pitch. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was a good display. They were up and at, at Chelsea early on, and that's quite the contrast to recent games when you know they've been put on the back foot very mm-hmm. early on by conceding early goals. I'm thinking back to Burnley, Southampton, Man United. You know, all three of those games. They were behind within the first ten minutes, and all of a sudden, it kind of is that doom and gloom again. You know, you think, oh, not again. But on Saturday, they were, you know, right at it from the start. Obviously, they got the early goal. I mean, yes, Chelsea did get the equaliser seven minutes later, but in credit, credit to Palace, that didn't actually let them affect them. You no. know, they they were still on the front foot for much of the first half, and I think they deservedly went in in front. It was a bit back to the wall in the second half, but you'd expect that. Mm. But to get that three points is just, you know, first win of the season is massive. They, um, they, oh, yes, they hadn't scored a goal and they hadn't won a point so far this season. Um, but we saw Palace beat Chelsea last year. Should we really be surprised that they, they went and beat Chelsea after, after what they did last year? No one expected them to beat Chelsea last year. Um, so, to, so to go and do that. <clears throat> I think it was a surprise for lots of people. But as you say... Um, the atmosphere that was inside the, the stadium and there was kind of a feel about it wasn't there on, on mm. Saturday that perhaps they could get up and running and, and Wilfred Zaha was returning was just a really big factor wasn't it on, on Saturday Massive boost I mean we all know how important he is to Crystal Palace I mean Roy Hodgson was keen to dress afterwards it wasn't all down to Wilfred Zaha and yeah, that's fair it was a good team performance but I think just that the lift he gives his teammates the fans you could see that on Saturday, you know, just just his name being there in the starting lineup. Everyone was like, right, Wilf's back, you know. He's got that little bit about him, you know. Something he can create something out of nothing. He he can take players on that that gets the fans out of their seats, you know. And and he's just got that that spark that has been missing. There's no, there's no doubt about that for Palace so far this season. They've they've been lacking, yeah, that that little bit of energy and that little bit of creativity that someone like Will Bizarre can, can produce. Well, it was almost about players, isn't it? It is, yeah. I was, I was going to say, it's almost a case of um, Chelsea missing their big player mm. in Kante and, and Palace having their big mm. player back for the day. The kind of, the tide almost turned before before the match even started, didn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, as I said, having Zaha back, and I, you know, I don't think we can underestimate the impact of having Junius Broni back in goal as well. He's a fan's favourite, and the reception he got when he went, when he came out and you know the Palace were, were kicking away from the Homestead end in the first half but Julian Spreading was walking to the goal you know those fans love him there there's mm. no doubt about that and that's not having any criticism of Wayne Hennessy who's obviously been number one this season so far and to be fair under previous managers as well but I think just Palace fans have kind of been clamouring for, for to see Spironi back in the team. All right, it's, this time it's become because of an injury to Wayne Hennessy, but I think just having him back in goal, Palace fans just sort of 
that created that feel good factor mm. along with Wilfred Zaha. It lifts the rest of the players as well, doesn't it? To know they've got a couple of big players back in the it team. It does. I mean, Wilfred Zaha, <coughs> there's no doubt about it, he inspires the players around him. You know, they, they got a lift from him being there, seeing what he could do. You know, that I spoke to, to Wilfred Zaha afterwards and spoke to Junius Baroni and, and Andros Townsend, and both of them were sort of saying, you know, it's a, it's a big thing having him back. You know, it was massive for us. And that can't be underestimated. He's he is that big player. He's that, you know, Roy Hodgson said last week. He's got that X factor. He can produce that something out of nothing. Which is why the expression "there's no I in team." I don't go with that at all because you have to have individual flair in teams, and they can sometimes win you matches that you might otherwise have drawn or lost even just by that spark of individual brilliance. I don't I don't agree with one man team and anyone saying that there's a one man team. I don't think there is ever such a thing as a one man team. Um, but um, Wilfred Zaha is Palace's talisman. He's the one not just the fans look to, but I think the rest of the team look to as well to kind of, if they're in a rut, to take them forward, to move them down the pitch and to, to give them something, a little, a little spark, something a little extra to kind of to get them going. And there's no question that him being back in the team will, will only benefit Palace. And I think we have to we'll taper a little bit in that it's been a dreadful start for Palace. They, they've just beaten Chelsea, so yes, everyone's optimistic and everyone's happy, but it, they're still in a hole, aren't they? It's, it's been a truly terrible start to the season. Um, they've already um, got rid of one manager. Um, Roy Hodgson's now picking up the pieces, um, and they can't, they can't rest on the laurels and think, well, that's it, that, this is, we're, we're, we're moving now. They've got to follow up that performance against Chelsea with, with another three points against Newcastle, really. Well, let's, you mentioned Roy Hodgson. Let's bring in Ryan talking about his influence at Fulham, Ryan, because he had a very good spell there. He's obviously got something about him, managed in a lot of countries as well. What is it that makes him a, a good manager? I think he's a good man management because speaking to Brian McBride on Friday night at Fulham, he was very, very... He always built up Roy Hodgson and what he was like at the club and the influence he had around the place. So I think him coming in, obviously Palace, you know, they haven't had a great start. We discussed that, but... Hodgson is very good at individually managing players and to get players to play well they need a manager they can trust and I think Roy Hodgson's that man and he's done it at Fulham as well he came in picked up the pieces and led to the UEFA Cup final so I think I think Hodgson's a good a good choice for Palace and he suits the kind of team Palace are it can't be underestimated what he's done at club level can it really no um, not at all I mean, obviously it didn't work out for him at Liverpool yeah. um, and it's not worked out at England um, I think a lot of fans maybe have kind of I've looked at that and have been a bit wary when he came in as to what he could actually bring. But Fulham, um, he did a great, fantastic job there. He did a good job at West Brom, from from what I can remember as well. Mm-hmm. I think Blackburn was okay, um, and his work overseas as well is not to be sniffed at. Yeah, well, Liverpool and England are completely different beasts to the likes of Fulham, West Brom, Palace. So you've got managers that are accustomed to managing at a, at a level like that. You know, you've got international managers that are fantastic internationally, but if you brought them in at club level, they wouldn't do the the same as they've done on an international stage. And I think Hodgson's one of those managers that is better at clubs like Fulham, at Palace and West Brom. They don't really have the funds to to spend big on players. You know, they have to find talent where other people don't see it. And I think Hodgson's fantastic at doing that. It's a bit like Palace bringing in Allardyce last year, isn't it? We, we all know what we were going to get with Allardyce. He was there to save them. Uh, and Hodgson, his record, is kind of the same situation isn't it really yeah, Pulis they brought in Pulis, Pulis as well for the same sort of reason similar sized club isn't it you know as you, you alluded to there with Fulham and West Brom you know he, he's he's got previous of doing that sort of job 
call it a firefighter's job you know that's what Pulis and Allardyce have kind of been tagged with isn't it and the style is is similar in you know how they manage how they get the best out of their players and I think you know we've seen signs of it here that, that you know Roy it's starting to work with what he and Ray Lewington Stephen Reid are doing you know the, the new management setup. It's, it wasn't ever going to be a quick fix you know that people were hoping that there was going to be a, an instant reaction when he came in for that Southampton game. He had two days to work with them before that. You know, I mean, what can you really expect from two days on the training field? With the same players. With the same players, you know, and, <coughs> and then he's he had a tough run, you know, there's no doubt about that. Playing the two Manchester clubs, the, the favourites for the Premier League title, away from home, you know, there'll be plenty of teams that will go there and get beat 3 or 4-0 this year, like Palace, you know, and at 4 and 5, fair enough, but there'll be plenty of teams that, that do get beaten quite heavily by them. And to come back and you know after the international break and get a win like they did on Saturday, it can only be good for the confidence. But as you said, they, they've got to back it up. They mm. can't can't let this be a one off. And what about Ray Lewington? His influence. He's he's obviously um, been tagged with uh, Roy Hodgson, followed him around all over the place, mm. and Roy obviously sees something in him. So what does he bring to the table? I think that they work well with each other. You know, Ray Lewington spoke recently and said that you know they're both sort of old school in their, their management style. Mm. You know, they, they both like working on the training ground, getting the best out of the players, having that individual contact with the players. Mm. You know, which I suppose you could say at international level they didn't have regularly. You know, they had once every month, a couple of months, you know, they, they would have the players for a few days on the training field. Whereas at club level, they've got that day-to-day contact, and they can, you know, put their ideas across. They can give, implement what they want, and I think we've started. You know, Saturday was, was certainly the signs of that taking effect. And did you but, see Lewington's reaction when Zaha scored? Yeah. I mean, he went absolutely mad, didn't yeah. he? You, you could see he was really passionate about it already. Yeah. And he's only been at the club, you know, three or four weeks. So just a football man. Yeah. A football man. Yeah. Who just loves. Um, things that maybe he's worked on on the training ground suddenly coming to fruition a quick one-two around the box that's the sort of thing you, you coach isn't it? It is isn't you know, th- there are certain things that you can't coach you know, that, that people like Wilfred Zaha individual brilliance exactly yeah <laughs> the, you know, the, there are things that he'll do that they'll sit on the stand on the sidelines and be thinking wow we've got a player here. You know, exactly. it, if we can u- utilise and get the best out of him then you know, we, we can get, get Palace working you know, and get results mm. and I think there's, there's certainly no doubt that Palace within the squad have the quality to get out of this position. You know, they, they're like I know we keep mentioning with Rizal, but th- there are others as well. I mean, I thought personally, I thought Andros Townsend was fantastic on Saturday. You know, he he covered well almost as much ground, if not more, than anyone else on the pitch. I believe Luka Milivojevic did cover more, but I think why that particular game? Why is he doing that against Chelsea? Why is he not doing it in the Against the lower team, should we say? I think that's been Palace's problem. I don't mean that's mm. just an individual thing. You know, I think in in previous seasons you you can look and say, well, last year on the road to survival they beat Chelsea, Liverpool, and Arsenal, mm. and yet they came a cropper against <coughs> teams like Burnley at home, who hadn't won a game all season. It could be a mentality thing, couldn't mm. it, with a player? Could be, and I, I think that Palace traditionally have always done well as the underdogs. You know, when they're not, there's not as much expected of them, and perhaps. I mean, you have to look at the, the last few seasons since they come up to the Premier League again. Their home record isn't great. You know, they've won 27 of 80 games at home, which, all right, is they've still won games, but 
the last three seasons they've won six out of nineteen in each season. Mm. You know, and, and it's really their away form and results they've picked up at you know perhaps surprising results away from home that probably helped them stay in the division. Mm. And I think the, what Palace have got to get better at is when the onus is on them as the home side against the team in and around them. They've got to get better at actually taking the game to these other mm. opponents and you know scoring goals and winning these games because that's where for me that's where they've come unstuck. They've you know they they can beat the Chelsea's, they can beat Liverpool, Arsenal. You know they can raise their game for those the big boys when they come to town or when they go to those mm. big venues. But it's the games against the teams in and around them where they've really got to step up and, and make sure that they can get points. It's okay. something they're not used to though, isn't it? Because this is five seasons solid in the Premier League now that Palace have never had before. It's always been up and down, up and down prior to this. So I don't think you can expect a team to just be to click like that and 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 take that take it forward and be on the front foot when they're playing against these so-called lesser teams. Because let's be honest, Palace are one of these lesser teams as well. It's only in the last four or five years that Palace have become an established Premier League team. And I think it takes time for, for clubs and teams to to be able to build up that kind of reputation to, you know what, we are the top dogs in this game. We we should take the ball by the horns and, and go and beat Burnley or go and beat Huddersfield or whatever. It's, that's, it's not really Palace. You, you expect Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal to go and do that. Arsenal struggle sometimes, of course. Um, but a Palace, yes, you want them to do it, but it's, it's, not, it's not always that easy. It's not, but I think most teams that that come up to the Premier League and want to establish themselves, <coughs> usually they do it based on their home form. Yeah. And that's where you kind of, you know, you, you try and make yourselves hard to beat at home. You try and make yourselves nick games, you know, whether it's 1-0 or you know, 2-1, a game that perhaps you've got your backs to the wall for, for part of the, of the match, but you still find a way of eking out that result. And I think that's, particularly at Sellers Park, for me, that's where Palace need to improve. But lots of people in the game talk about Selhurst Park and the atmosphere and what a, an amazing atmosphere it is mm. surely away teams will raise their game in a good atmosphere like that we talk about it all the time don't we like Tottenham struggled at Wembley mm. because people come and raise their games because it's Wembley if Crystal Palace were creating an amazing atmosphere which is not a negative by the way but surely opposition teams will come and, and, and play off that as well I think it can work both ways. I think some teams will be intimidated by it because Sellers Park is, you know, we've all been there. It's it's a a close ground, isn't it? It's tight, you know, for the players. It's not. It's it's just sort of almost a throwback to those traditional stadiums that you know yeah. aren't really around anymore for some of the, a lot of the bigger teams. And I think it can work in Palace's favour when the fans are behind them. There's no doubt that you know they can be the twelfth man at Sellers Park, but also it can perhaps not not be a hindrance but I think like you say other teams can come and raise their own game off of it you know they, they like playing in a, in a good atmosphere some you know there'll be some players who might hide in that sort of situation there'll be some players who thrive in it and I think yeah in the last few seasons there are more teams that have come and thrived in that situation <laughs> than there are that have come and hid so for Palace I suppose that's not their own doing and that they can't you know influence how other teams react to it but I think they certainly can produce a more energetic performance on a consistent basis and you know, feed off of that passion from the stands, like they did on Saturday, 
on a more you know regular basis because that that is one of the things that I think one of the criticisms that could be levelled at the players is that at home maybe they've you know they, they've not it's not brought the best out of them in the last few seasons. It should be opinion. underestimated. Palace are in the Premier League in the first place. It's such a competitive division. Mm-hmm. You've only got to look at the Championship. I think it's all but six clubs have been in the Premier League and and maybe have established themselves at some point in time over the last few years. So it's a big thing to be there, isn't it? And uh, five years is, is a tremendous effort. And they are one of those clubs that could dip into the Championship quite easily, as you say. So it's going to be a bit of a, a struggle really to stay in there this year. But it's it's vital they give it a real good go. I think. Are, they, are they a club, Ryan, that the likes of Fulham and other championship, aspiring championship clubs kind of look at and think, well, that's, that they've done the job, they've stayed. A lot of teams will stay for one season and people talk about second season syndrome, don't they? Palace have, kind of, Palace have done that. They've got through two, three, four years now. Um, is, there, is there an example that other championship clubs can use with Palace? I think so, yeah. I mean, obviously every single club in a championship wants to be a Premier League club and that's what Palace are, whether you, people like it or lump it. They're, they're a Premier League club and they're beating good teams in the Premier League when they want to like Chelsea so clubs like Fulham Middlesbrough Wolves they all aspire to be like Palace in the sense that they're in the Premier League but you know if you're looking at a team that one of those teams will look up to like Palace Stoke's another example of it that they weren't a very big club during the Championship you know they're still not a very big club in all honesty they don't everyone takes the mick out of Stoke where playing football but they've been in the Premier League now for God knows how long and before that they'd never been in the Premier League in their life I think I'm right in saying so it's teams like Palace and Stoke that although they're not well would be as they're not setting the place on fire they're in the Premier League they're playing against these big teams week in week out and that's what fans of clubs like Fulham want to see their teams playing they're not fashionable as such but they're not, they're, 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 yeah exactly I was going to bring West Brom in but they're doing <coughs> things the right way because you only have to look at where Portsmouth are you only have to look at where Leeds are and how they've kind of gone right to the very bottom uh, Leeds are obviously making their way back up now as Portsmouth are to a, a smaller extent um, but these clubs Stoke, Palace, West Brom they're not throwing ridiculous money at it they're doing what they need to do to stay in the Premier League and I, I think that's commendable highly commendable for, for clubs like that Look at the clubs in the in League One Charlton Athletic Wigan Athletic Blackburn Rovers won the Premier League they're all in League One So much money that dried up Yeah There are plenty of clubs out there though, who've had a taste of the Premier League and have never got back to it you know, mm. or can't get themselves back to it at the moment because like you say the championship is such a competitive division mm. I think you know, like you say it can't be underestimated to stay in the Premier League for five seasons what an achievement that big, is big, and big effort. it is alright you can look at it on the other hand and say well are Palace ever going to reach the top six at the moment you'd <coughs> say no because the top six looks like they're they're so far ahead of the others that annoys me it annoys me when I hear pundits always talking about oh where do they go next is that as far as they can go can they, can they make the next step why do these clubs have to make the next step exactly the what case is the point Charlton Athletic Palace's rivals of old Alan Kerbishley was the manager and I think he got them 10th in the Premier League and suddenly the fans were saying well hang on we want to get we want to get in the top 6 how are we going to do that and Kerbishley stood aside and look, look what's happened since. I mean, there's too much ambition in some clubs. Just to be there in the top ten of the Premier League, surely that's a fantastic achievement in itself. Yeah, I mean, Steve Parrish alluded that to that himself a couple of few weeks ago. You know, he was on an interview that he did. He said, you know, people were perhaps making judgments after he'd sacked De Boer and saying, you know, they wanted him out. Well, 
he said, you know, what do you want? Well, realistically, is this the Alan Kerbyshe moment? You know, mm-hmm. where it's have I, you know, have, have CPFC 2010 taken the club as far as they can? I think that's, you know, it's harsh to it'd be a knee-jerk reaction to be saying that, but you know, they've done so much good for the club, and like you say, it, it is difficult to push on to that next level. And being at that level, being at the Premier League, is nothing to be sniffed at. You know, they're they're all right. The last few seasons they have been flirting with relegation in most seasons they've been in the top flight but still they have survived and this is the fifth year you know it, the longer you, you stay in it obviously the more money you get mm. from the TV rights and the stronger you can become I think as Ryan said you know the, the likes of Stoke West Brom you know that have now consolidated themselves in the Premier League yes alright you, you might say what do those fans have to look forward to each year you know they apart from perhaps a cup run you know, then it's trying to get enough points to stay in. It's getting to the forty-point margin, uh, forty-point mark, and then what? You know, what can they do from there? But those fans are obviously content with what they're seeing, and uh, you, you have to ask. You have to ask the question: like, what, what do the fans want? Do they want mm. to be in the Premier League every single year and, and fighting against relegation, maybe mid-table, or do they want a bit more excitement and go down, battle for promotion next year, go up, go down, go up? It, I think there's you can split the fans down the middle with that really can't you maybe the Leicester factor has changed things in terms of chairman's perspective well they've done it why can't we do it I think that was possibly for the other clubs in that similar stature mm. similar position probably the worst thing that could happen for them because yes. everybody now is thinking well why can't we do a Leicester mm. it's an absolute freak a once in a 50 happen. year event isn't it, it is you know, a, yeah, well I was going to say 100 but yeah, 50 is fine everything works in their favour that year you've got to look at it you know the other teams the, the so called big teams didn't have a good season you know whether that was down to injuries whether that was down to out of form they didn't have a good season Leicester took advantage of it you know Leicester got a good consistent team together they, they kept their best players fit managed to you know and they had a way of winning, and to be fair to them, you know, like you say, it's a once, probably once in a, in a lifetime. I would say in the Premier League lifetime, mm. you know, to see someone like that come come through and win the league, they weren't fancied. You know, they were five thousand to one at the start of the season. I mean, bookmakers aren't making that mistake again, <laughs> are they? No, but yeah. I, I don't personally, I don't see that happening again. I think it was a wake up call for the big teams, and they now have strengthened to the point where it's very difficult to see anyone else getting and breaking that mould. Mm. I think now you've got to look at the, the 14 other teams in the Premier League and say, well, if we can finish best of the rest, we've had a good season. We only need to look at what Everton are doing. Look, how much money did they spend? Yes, they mm. obviously recouped a lot of it from the sale of Lukaku, but they have spent ridiculous amounts of money this summer. I know, mm. I know they've got a new investor, but they are really struggling at the mm. minute. And I think it would be a crying shame to lose Everton from, from the top division. One of football's great great clubs uh, and they've thrown loads of money at it and you never know they, they could follow the same path as the likes of Leeds and Portsmouth couldn't they because they are really struggling at the minute and, I don't think um, they've ever been out the top no they haven't no. they're one of the, the, the mainstays aren't they yeah. but the, they haven't replaced Lukaku's goals that's their big problem mm. for me they, they've brought in a lot of players who can play a similar position in that number 10 role and they haven't brought in an out and out striker there you know, go. it's about players again isn't it yeah and you no know, matter who's the manager no. You need players who can do certain things on the football pitch. You know, and, and bringing that back to Palace, they're not the only ones who haven't got a striker at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's crying about the fact they haven't got Christian Benteke, but hey, look look at the weekend. They had Wilfred Zaha and Andros Townsend do a superb job up the top there in positions they're not used to. So if they can produce that same level of performance again over the next few weeks, 
you know, look at the fixtures they've got coming up. They've got teams now in and around them coming up over between now and Christmas. They've got Newcastle away this weekend, West Ham at home, Tottenham away, all right? Tottenham's going to be a difficult one, although if you look at their form at Wembley, then that might be a chance of a point or something. But I think you've got to look at the fixtures beyond that as well after the next international break. Palace have got those teams now in and around them. You know, they've got Everton to come to, to Sellers Park and out and out of form Everton. They've got Stoke, mm-hmm. who are hit and miss. You know, they can concede seven, all right, seven goals against Man City, probably an anomaly, but they've, they've managed to score twice against Man U and Man City. They're the only teams to score against Man U so far in the mm-hmm. league. So there, there are, you know, there are positives and negatives for all the teams, but I think you look at the, the run of fixtures Palace have got coming up, coming up now and you think, well, this is a chance for, for them to push up the table. But they've already lost seven, haven't they? So yeah. that's a hell of a ask to turn it around and you really need to get some sort of level of consistency and maybe win seven out of the next ten just to catch up, maybe. Or Well, the good thing for Palace is they're not cut adrift. You know, Despite the fact they have lost seven games, even going, all right, they, they've won on Saturday and they're still bottom, mm. but they're not... 10, 15 points behind. You know, no. that winning, I would say it was a bonus win on Saturday because no one expected it. No. So they've now got three points out of eight games. A lot of people, pundits, fans alike, were saying they'd have nothing after eight mm. games after, after they'd lost the first four or five. Mm. So I think it was a bonus on Saturday. It's now about building on it. And if they can get, you know, in between now and the next international break, they've got three games Newcastle, West Ham, and Spurs. If they can get four, six points out of those, then they're probably going to be within touching distance of getting out the bottom three because at the moment they're five points behind, you know, five mm. points of drift to safety. So they're not, it's not, it's not a lost cause or anything, you know. That win on but Saturday. But they have to start getting some consistent wins under their belts because other clubs will win the odd game. They will, yeah. I mean, the thing is, as we said, that those 14 teams really you could throw a blanket over them, you know, and say they're much of a muchness. Mm. And so it is whoever can get a consistent run going out of those will come, you know, rise to the top of that second league if you want. You know, if, if you, you consider the top six, probably are going to be the top six as they are in a different some form. You know, well, Watford are fourth at the minute. So True. are you counting them as in the top six? <laughs> well, Watford have started the season well, and they're the ones who have been consistent out of those other teams, aren't they? Someone might do it. There's no doubt it's possible, but I think. You've got to be consistent over 38 games. Watford have been consistent over eight. eight. Well, Palace I'd say seven, they lost six nil home to Man City. They did, yeah. Palace were consistent over seven games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Consistently bad. <laughs> we hope that's not, um, not the case moving forward. Um, I just want to talk about the, the first goal. Um, Palace's first goal in the league this season. Uh, it took seven games and 11 minutes, was it? Yeah. Was it inevitable that it was going to be an own goal? Uh, I off uh, as thigh, or whatever it was? Personally, I, I, I said to someone in the press box, I said, and that wasn't just on Saturday, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I said, it's probably going to be an own goal when, when they first score. Because. Did anyone care? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the reaction to it was, it was brilliant, you know, seeing people. The fans, the joy in their faces, you know, they were just like, we actually have scored a goal. Like, you know, mm. I mean, I know I tweeted, this is not a drill, Palace have scored. You know, there are plenty of people doing the same thing. And it wasn't just the fans, was it? It was the press team. No, the press <laughs> team as well. Yeah, they, they were so very a big shout out to the press team at Crystal Palace. Yeah, they were hugging each other and everything. It was, you know, for a team that have been through the, the mire that they have in the first seven games, you know, I mean, it, it, those fans haven't had much to cheer. And in fairness to them, they've stuck with the team. 
you know, they've sold out of weigh-ins, the allocations they've been given, and they've been, there's no doubt about it, they've been fantastic, those Palace fans, this season, for what they've been through, and I think they deserved, you know, a day in the sun like they had on Saturday, and you hope for their sake that they've got more, more to cheer, because it can't just be a one-off, it really can't, you know, they've had two goals that have kept celebrated, but they've had... 18 goals going against them so far this season so they've still got a bit to make up there and can we just talk about Sacco's uh, moment of uh, oh, madness <laughs> it almost the cost game. them didn't it I, I, bit, of a, bit of an aberration I, I just couldn't understand what went through his mind at that moment I mean I know he's he, you know he, he who is, was he trying to find I don't know. <laughs> I really don't it, it, it was one of those where I think you just put in Rose Ed even if it goes out for a corner you set up you organise you defend the corner he, he wasn't going anywhere but to do that was just, it was inexplicable. Why, why, what went through his head at that moment, I have no idea. And he was lucky, he was really lucky they didn't cost them. You know, Fabregas flashed his shot across the face of goal. On another day, that could have gone in, and then you'd be thinking, oh, that cost us, you know. Yeah. It, luckily for him, it didn't, and to be fair to him, he had a good performance otherwise. You know, he, he was, there's no doubt last year he was superb when they survived. And on Saturday there were signs he was back to that I think the first couple of games when he came back this season and you could sense that his fitness wasn't quite there and alright he was he had a tough afternoons to get the Man City and Man United but I think we were, it was back to the old you know the soccer that everyone sort of fell in love with last last season there was a little smile wasn't there after after he did it I think after it had gone out for a, I think Fabregas's shot actually went out for a throw in yeah, yeah I think it did yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there was a little smile from Sacco afterwards and I think Scott Dan came over to him and was like what are you doing yeah I think I think Scott Dan just sort of gave him a little tap on the head and was just sort of just forget about it but <laughs> don't do it again <laughs> yeah ho- hopefully we won't see uh, that sort of well moment of madness again for him well, let's hope Palace can continue from where they left off on Saturday. And um, I hope you enjoyed listening to all things Crystal Palace being discussed. And we'll catch you again next week. Mm-hmm.